Well, <clears throat> looking at the sermon this morning, the study. This sermon is one of those no-go areas in the majority of churches. And you'll probably realize once I start <laughs> why. Um, <clears throat> it was hard. I had some reservations about uh, preaching this this morning, but it is a concluding sermon to the series we've been looking at. We've been looking recently at obeying the Lord. Remember, Brother Weeks was here? What should we do? And then obey. We looked at obedience in salvation. For if we don't obey, trouble's on the way, eternally. We looked at obedience in submission, and we spoke of baptism. We looked at obedience as far as sanctification is concerned. We need to be sanctified. Be ye sanctified. Be ye holy. We looked at obedience in service. And now this morning we'll look at obedience in separation. I remember I was a very young lad when this was first... Well, it, I can remember back when it first gelled with me that this was the case for Christians. We need to be separate. I was about 14 years old, had been saved for about two years, and we're down at a Church of Christ meeting in, in uh, Clayton, Clayton Church of Christ. There was a special speaker there, Dr. Woodbridge. He was from America, and he was going around Australia, in those days allowed to be in a Church of Christ, <laughs> preaching on separation. That's what his sole subject was. And I uh, can remember it very clearly because on that day, <coughs> Pastor Bill Grant, who started the church at Benella, had just arrived from America and he was in the congregation. And Brother Woodbridge was up the front and he said, before I start, I'm going to introduce to you somebody that's come out here to start an independent Baptist church. And a lot of ears were pricked up at the time <laughs> in a church of Christ. <laughs> And uh, he had Brother Woodbridge stand up, and I remember the snowy-haired white man, <laughs> about four seats in front of us, he and his wife stood up. And they came and stayed with us for a couple of weeks. And, uh, it, but the series was on separation, and we went to several of those meetings down there from, from Cockatoo, where we were. And so it was something that I knew of and about and was taught in from early days. Um, I'm glad of that, that I didn't have to, had to pull out from to be separate that was taught early. Um, it's not a popular subject, and as I said, it's not one that's preached in many churches, but it is a biblical one. You read the Old Testament, and we'll look at just a few examples quickly this morning about men that took a stand to be separate. And the blessing, they're the ones that are recorded in the scripture, not the other ones that didn't take a stand. And so we'll be looking at these this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we commit this service to you. It might be hard to receive, but it is necessary to be given. Lord, we live in a wild and a wicked world. And there is the absolute necessity for God's people to be different. And I pray that each one of us would be challenged from the word this morning, the preacher, as well as each one in the pews, to, to take a stand for truth. 
to say this is where I stand and I cannot be moved. Take a stand for God through the teaching of your word and the ministry of the spirit within us. Lord, not for pride's sake, not because I'm this or I'm that, but because we want to please our God and obey him in this area. Bless the word as it's opened and shared this morning. Lord, I pray that it might be given in a spirit of humility and not looking down. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> this is the first one that we have, the first point, personal separation from the world. Two primary aspects of separation, and this is one. Then there's a second, and under the second come the other three points, or two points, the last two points. So the personal separation from the world. Most conservative Christians would agree with this. There's some obvious and well-known verses that we could refer to when we refer to the first one in 1 John chapter 1, verse 15 to 17, where it reads, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away in the lust of it, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Now that is personal separation, isn't it? If you're a Christian, there will be a difference between you and a person that's not a Christian. And those differences will, will be in different areas of your life. They'll be in your, what you say, even what you eat, the places you go and visit, the clothes you wear. There will be a difference, won't there? God's people are to stand out and to be different. Are you different? And a conservative Christian, a, a Bible-obeying Christian, will be different. A Bible-obeying church will be different, and we need to be different. How can we have a testimony if we're not different? They will say, you're like us. Why should I go to church? Music is a big issue, isn't it? Why have the world's music in the church? They're no we're no different. In fact, when I hear Christian rock and roll, it's wilder than the worldly stuff, often. And you think, what are these people doing? Well, we're just trying to win them and get them all into church. Wrong move. Very wrong. The, the, ne the next portion is in the high priestly prayer of the Lord Jesus Christ in John's Gospel, chapter 17, as he prayed for the people that would believe after he'd gone. And uh, all the testimonies that would go on throughout the, the centuries, the millennia. We can say now in John 17, 14, Jesus said, I have given them thy word and the world hath hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the evil. God has left Christians in the world for what reason? To be a testimony to the world. He would have taken us immediately to heaven when we believed, as he took Enoch after he'd walked with God for many years and took him into his presence. 
they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. That is, Christians are not of the world. And the word that's coming up over and over again here is what? The world, the world, the world. Both in 1 John and John 17. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. So there is the means by which we know what's right and wrong. What's worldly and not worldly. What's spiritual and what's carnal. They are not of the world of Islam. Sanctify them through thy word. As for their sakes, I sanctify myself in verse 19, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. There are other portions, like the verses we read this morning. We won't read them again in 2 Corinthians chapter 6. There in the separation, what hath light to do with darkness, Christ with Belial, and so forth, that is mentioned there. So personal separation from the world. And a conservative Bible-reading-believing Christian will be that way. And when people declare themselves to be Christians and are not that way, there is a question mark about their salvation. That they haven't, there's no difference, they haven't changed, there's no repentance, there's no turning away from and unto the Lord. The next area, the practical separation from professing Christians. Liberals. New evangelical, contemporary, apostates, different names that are given to the uh, postmodernism, modernist. <laughs> I remember when Brother Woodbridge was preaching about it, he was talking about modernism. It's not a, not a word you hear much these days. <laughs> We're postmodern. We've gone past that. <laughs> We've gone further downhill, <laughs> a lot further downhill. But <clears throat> this is practical separation from professing brethren, which most Christians don't want to do nor do most Christians believe in. We all want to live without controversy. We all want to live without confrontation. That's the easy way. <laughs> but if you know the word of God, you're going to have to take a stand. And it's going to cost you. It's going to cost you through life. It's going to cost you friends. It's going to cost your family. It's going to cost you financially when you take a stand. Practical separation. And let's look at a few examples from the Old Testament. You know, it's not possible in a fallen world unless we disobey God to have friends with everybody or to be friends with everybody. Looking at these Old Testament examples and you have them listed there, Abraham, a prime example, the first one that was called out to separation. There were others earlier, of course, but he stands out because he started a nation called Israel, eventually. He had to separate. God said, get out of Ur of the Chaldeans. He went there. Then he went to Haran, up a little bit north and west, northwest. And there he lived until he, his, his father died and then he moved on. You see, he said, get out from your kindred and from your country and I'll show you a land. Separate. You see, they were pagans back there where Abraham come from. And it's well known. The Bible refers to them as that. So he, he moved there but he didn't move where he should have all the way he stayed with 
dad and granddad, I think granddad died first and then dad later. And then God said, get out. And he went. But who did he take with him? Lot. <laughs> he still tied with the kin. <laughs> and Lot had a heart that wasn't right. We know that from what happened. I mean, he was a believer. It says that in the New Testament. If we didn't have it in Peter, I would wonder if he was. But anyway, it's there in the scriptures. And their hurts grew so great. And God allowed that to happen, I think, for a purpose of separation. And then they divided. And Lot took the, the well-watered plains of the Jordan. And uh, <coughs> Abraham chose the top, uh, the higher ground, really. <laughs> and God blessed him. And it wasn't until... Abraham separated from kin and country completely that then God revealed his covenants to Abraham. And you check that out in the order of events. That's when God showed him the real blessings that he was going to inherit. He had a few slip-ups in going down to Egypt and other things, but that's when God blessed him and gave the covenant and reiterated the covenant and spoke about the covenant at least three times, Genesis 15, Genesis 17 and, and following. You had Noah. He had a lonely road to walk, didn't he? 120 years is the flood coming. Preach it. <laughs> and for 120 years, he preached it. And slowly, his congregation dwindled. Dwindled and dwindled. Until Methuselah died, and that's only eight left. <laughs> three sons and three daughter-in-laws, and him and his wife. Eight of them left, and that's all that went into the ark. Would you be able to sustain your faith in such a situation as Noah had to, where they all went away? Because he was a preacher of righteousness, Second Peter 2.5. Moses. He had to have a dramatical separation of times. But the one that really stands out is in the wilderness when Korah and 250 princes of the people, renowned men in the congregation, men of esteem that multitudes, thousands and thousands of the Israelis looked up to these 250 men and they rebelled against Moses. <laughs> How'd you be standing there alone with Miriam and Aaron, or well, not quite alone, and saying, you're wrong. You are wrong. <laughs> okay, let's have a competition. <laughs> you stand there, everyone for us, stand here and see what God will do. If you die a natural death, then I'm wrong. I mean, he didn't know. Moses didn't know. I don't think it's revealed to Moses that there was a, the earth was going to open up and swallow them all up. He didn't know that, but he had to take a stand, didn't he? And that was on the issue of leadership. Someone usurping authority, trying to take over when he shouldn't have been trying to. And what did God do? The next day it was on and the earth opened up and swallowed them up. Stand on separation. God honoured him in that. Now, the day after or very soon after, the people all got angry with Moses and said, how dare you do that? Oh, whoa. <laughs> I, didn't, I just took a stand. God did it. God did it. You'd be surprised what God does when you take a stand on truth and separate. 
God blessed. And it may not be that way. You might be left alone in a prison like Paul was and didn't have many friends. Luke is with me. Uh, Demas has forsaken me. And, and, and Paul spoke of those. Moses, we'll go back. Uh, Joshua. Joshua. Great victory at Jericho. A defeated AI. Then he had to point out the sin or find the individual. The individual wouldn't come forward. Achan wouldn't come forward. But there needed to be a stand. Because if they didn't stand, they would fall before their enemies. They'd be defeated at every, every turn. And so he didn't want to... God said to him, well, you're down there weeping about it. Get up and do something about it. And he got up and did something about it. And he had all the tribes pass by. And then it was the tribe that Achan was with. I can't remember which one. And then, and then all the families. Why didn't Achan just step forward? <laughs> He'd taken things, a Babylonian garment and a wedge of gold. So Joshua had to stand on separation and discern which it was that was corrupting the camp and not letting them move forward. And then you think, oh, he just put him in jail. No. He had everyone stoned, not just Achan, but his family and those connected with him to death and all their stuff and burnt it with fire. You say, dramatic. Yeah, that's God. I think when we get to heaven, we will realize how pure, holy and separate God is. This side of there we get somewhat confused with things that are going on around us, carried away with it. Saul had to be rebuked by Samuel. Did these men, did Joshua, Moses, Noah, Abraham, uh, did, did they like doing this? No, N not at all. But they knew they had to obey God in this stand on separation. Saul had to be rebuked by Samuel and removed from being king of Israel. That's a dangerous thing as a prophet to do. <laughs> Tell a king you're, you've lost it. God's not with you anymore. And, and, and so happened it was so. And, and Saul fought against it, didn't he? He tried to nail David to the wall with a javelin. But old Samuel had to stand up and tell the truth. 1 Samuel 15. All these references are there for you to look at. Um, <clears throat> Nathan. One year after David, almost a year after David had committed the sin with Bathsheba, of adultery, and then um, <clears throat> of murder, Nathan was the man that had to go and do it. And he probably sat a lot of nights thinking, what will I say to the king? He's a very powerful man. He's got a lot of friends in high places. <laughs> of course, he's in the, the king of Israel. And uh, Nathan came up with the idea, I'll give him a parable. And I'll get him to say what David said. And David got so angry when Nathan told him the parable. He said, who is it? Let's get him. <laughs> Thou art the man. <laughs> and, uh, and David's, what? Me? But a man after God's own heart, he repented, didn't he? And he got right with God. Uh, <clears throat> Nathan had to do it. And praise God, it worked out the way it did. He could have been killed too. Nadab, Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, they had been fitted out for the ministry of priesthood. Their garments had been stitched up. 
They'd, they were next in order. They were Aaron's sons. But they offered strange fire upon the altar before the Lord, and the Lord smote them dead. Separation. You say, well, what's the difference between this fire and that fire? Fire's fire. No. It wasn't the fire that God had ordained to be used at that time in that place. Now, redhead match or petrol or whatever or a fire lighter, you can use whatever you want. Don't worry about dying today <laughs> if you start with something different because we haven't got an altar and we're not doing those sort of things. But God ha is a holy God. User, Uzzah, Uzzah, put forth his hand to stay the ark. And what did God do? Smote him. You think, how many of us, if we were walking next to the ark like Uzzah was, and it was on a cart and being pulled by oxen, and you saw it start wobbling, how many of us would sort of reach up and, come on, put up your hand. I think we all would have, wouldn't we? <laughs> Almost put our hand up and stop. You know, this is a precious item. This is something God has ordained. And this is where God's presence is, where this, play, where this ark is. But God smote him. Dead on the spot. God is a God of separation. He will not be compared with or try to be paralleled with any other God. Daniel's three friends. <laughs> If you were Daniel's three friends and everybody at the sound of the trumpet and the music bowed, would you stay standing? Would you sort of just sort of go half down? I'm half and half. <laughs> A lot of us would. You know, those things they do in, they, they do it to see the, the, the influence, the, the pressure that's put on, peer pressure when uh, you're in a group. And how I've, I've told you before, they've tried this in secular universities where one person is not in the know, but everyone else is in the know. And they hold up different colours or different things. And this is red, and it's, it's plainly not. It's another colour. And everybody says it's red and it's not. And one person doesn't know. And he's looking around. He's out. I must have gone colour blind. I'll, I'll agree with everybody else and I'll just <laughs> do what they do. We are under peer pressure. Oh, that's a hard thing. As pastors, it's a hard thing to have the peer pressure applied by other preachers and by the people of the church. You know why churches have gone liberal and apostate? Because the people applied the pressure on the pastor long enough and he just gives up and just quits and doesn't preach it anymore. That's why these sermons are not preached. Very few and far between on separation. Micah. Micaiah was told by the king's messenger in 2 Chronicles 18.12 to speak like the false prophets, good things to Ahab, King Ahab. And he said, no, I'll speak what God wants me to speak. And Ahab said, I've told you so. I knew he would do that. He doesn't agree with all the other prophets. He speaks what God speaks. I pray that that could be said of you. Now, we move on to prophecies, and uh, well, I'll just mention them because we haven't got time. I'd love to look them up. They're all there, and uh, Elise has done a good job again in the bulletin, and, and, and she didn't just do one page. She slipped it onto the back page. It's too much. It's all there. You can look at it later. Look up the verses. 
But in, in these six references, you'll find that last times, last days are used. The Bible said it in the last days concerning the church period, things would be getting a lot worse. There would be super rich people. Poor people would be getting poorer and rich people would be getting richer at the expense of the poor. James chapter 5 and verse 3. That's happening. Sensual sinners would be around in Jude verses 14 to 19. Separating themselves in an ungodly manner. Pretending to be spiritual. There would be those that are mentioned in Revelation chapter 3. They'd be rich. They'd be blind, spiritually speaking. They'd be shameless, spiritually naked. They needed a white raiment. They were all show. This is speaking of the last church. And that is so today. We're just coming up because we're coming up at a different time to church than usual. Everybody was coming out of the one down the road. My immediate thought is, what did they learn today? <laughs> or did they go through a ritual as usual? Sightless, shameless, unsaved but going to church because the leaders of the church are not telling them the truth. Um, <clears throat> so this church that God condemned is a picture of the last church and as it comes to that conclusion and is at verse 20 of Revelation 3, behold, I stand at the door and knock and the Lord is outside the church, wanting to get inside the church, but they put him out. We'll do it our way whether God be in it or not. Um, <clears throat> the scoffers. Let's do turn to this one in Second Peter chapter three. Second Peter chapter three, verses three and three and four. Scoffers. In verse three, knowing this verse that it shall come in the last days, scoffers walking after their own lust. Have we got scoffers around today? <laughs> oh yeah. They're in the media, they're in the churches, they're mocking Noah's flood. I was thinking of this one. She sells, I'm going real slow. She sells sea shells by the well, well, on the top of Mount Everest. <laughs> because there are seashells in the rocks on the top of the highest mountain, kilometers up on Mount Everest. How'd they get there? <laughs> They're under the sea at one time when that rock was formed. <clears throat> you see, they deny there's been a flood. The evidence is everywhere <laughs> that there has been. Scoffers concerning Christ's coming, concerning Noah's flood. You know, all things continued as they were and and, uh, you know, God's not, he's dead. He's, he, there is no God, they say. But it is. The scoffers concerning creation, Romans chapter 1, this they know. They know there is a creator, but they deliberately put him out of their mind, out of their heart, out of their life, and do as they please. Last day's stuff. Is it happening? Yeah. In our own country, in the last few years, we've passed laws by public vote that lets same-sex people get married to change their sex of their birth. 
to, to name whatever you want to. Parents aren't allowed to. and It's going to get worse and worse. This was happening back then. Scoffers can, in last days. You know, we're living in the last days. Let's turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verses 1 to 9. 2 Timothy 3. One to nine. I think this is one of the primary portions of scripture. Savage seasons, I've called it, perilous times. The last days, perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce-bakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traity, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, little g, but denying the power of it from such turn away. This is the sort of people that will be around. And I was just reading the news at two o'clock this morning. <laughs> Got up, start reading some of the things. It's gone crazy in Perth, they say. This is unsafe people. How many murders? How many stabbings? And then next, next item. In the Northern Territory, five stabbings in the last few days. And they say, what's going on? This has not happened before. It's coming toward the end. Imagine Noah knew all this too. In the newspaper of his day, that was happening. In the newspaper down in Sodom and Gomorrah, this was happening. Terrible times, savage seasons. Difficult. The word perilous there is difficult, harsh, violent, fierce times. And Second Timothy, just over in chapter 4, verses 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. <laughs> Preach the word in these sorts of times. Timothy, don't give up preaching the word. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure what? Sound doctrine. But after their own lust shall heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Tickling the ears of the people with tantalizing things that are not truth. And they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. The ponytail pontiff downtown will be doing exactly that this morning and every time he gets up he has the opportunity in the media they, the, the, the media love him basically he tells them what they want to hear he's tickling their ears and everyone locally knows who that is <laughs> if you don't know ask a local later ah <laughs> uh, what should we then do knowing these things that we're in the last times these things have come upon us what should we do what action should we take? You know, the sermon is on what? Separation. Well, in Hebrews chapter 10, just forward a bit on in, from Timothy, Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 24, not, and let us consider one another to provoke. Now, this is where you want to, I think there's some fill-in spots there, to provoke and unto love and to good works. Provoke one another to love and good works in these savage seasons, in these terrible times. And we read 
Verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. Assemble together. As the manner of some is, but exhort one another. Exhort one another. And so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Some have tried to say that's the day of the destruction of Jerusalem. I beg to differ because over in verse 37 of the same chapter, notice what it says, a little while and he that shall come will come and will not tarry. (laughs) That's when it's talking about when the Lord's about to come. So provoke one another to love and good works, not to anger, of course. (laughs) Assemble together, exhort one another, encourage one another in the Lord. And now there's a list of ones that we'll just refer to so you can fill out the blanks if you've got a pen in hand. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17 that we read this morning, it said, says in verse 17, I believe, Wherefore come out from among them and be ye separate. That is a command to obey, not to be questioned and debated. Come out. You know, we don't like having to do that, but we need to come out. If we're in the majority, minority, come out from among them. And then in 1 Corinthians 5, verse, verses 6 to 13, really, but down to verse 11. Don't keep company. I really need to look at the context of that so you understand. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 5. This is the man that was taken, was caught was known to be living in adultery with his mother fornication whatever you'd like to say is reported fornication it is reported commonly in chapter 5 verse 1 that there is fornication among you and such fornication is not so much named among the Gentiles even the unsaved people don't do this that one should have his father's wife and ye are puffed up and have not rather mourned look the grace of God is flowing to us because we can do this and we can get away with it Nothing's happened to this person. They're living as everybody else does. Oh, wow. Puffed up. Not mourned. We should mourn this. And that he hath done this deed might be taken away from among you. Verily, he said, I'll come and tell you and face these people. Verse 4. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together in my spirit with the power of the Lord Jesus to deliver such a one unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And so <clears throat> we, re- we read on verse, well, the rest of verse 5, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump? Let this continue in this church. And I don't say it was a little leaven. It was a big leaven. This is obvious to the people of the church. This was wrong. This is wrong even in face of the Gentile unsaved people. And don't keep company with this individual. That's the answer there. Don't keep company that he may be ashamed. If you go to verse 11. Now I have written unto you not to keep company if any man is called a brother or a fornic. Called a what brother? Christian. Called a Christian. Remember the outline. Point two. Be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner. With such a one, no, not to eat. Who, who gets something from this that's the wrong way of going about this? Bernie, where are you? Here, down here. 
<laughs> He's not speaking out too loud down here. <laughs> Exclusive brethren. They won't eat, even if another person's a Christian, with them that work with them. They'll separate. That's not what it's saying here. Yeah, this person was in the act of adultery, fornication. No, not to eat. Don't encourage this so-called brother. This fellow was a brother because later on in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul said, bring him back in. He's repented. He's turned away from his sin. But don't keep company with this person. Separation. Exo uh, come out. Don't keep company. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 13 we read, but them that are without, God judges. Therefore, put away from among you. Put away. That's the feeling there. Put away that person. Out from among you. This is talking of church discipline. Something not heard of hardly ever today. Chapter Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. And here's one I think it's worthy to turn to. Again, Second Thessalonians chapter 3 in verse 6. Now we command you. This is a what? A command. What do you do with commands? We said earlier. Obey them. Brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye what? Withdraw yourself from every brother that walketh disorderly. This is a Christian. And not after the traditions which ye have received of us. Oh, we could have a lot of traditions, but you see, that time they didn't have the New Testament. They were getting it by revelation through the apostles. And so they were going by the teaching of the books that had been written and that which would be written, but now we have the completed canon. Which, so if they are disorderly and not after the truth of God's word, withdraw yourself. For yourselves know how ye ought to follow us as we behave not ourselves disorderly, among you and so withdraw yourselves in chapter the same chapter in verse 14 notice the words here if any man obey not our word by this epistle this is scripture now this epistle note that man and have what that is separation no company with him that he may be ashamed that he might come back in it's not like you throw him out and say we don't have nothing more to do with it and what was the occasion here you say, you know, it must be a serious matter. The matter here was that this person was failing to work and was bludging. What do we call people today? What's the word we, we use? Doll bludges. That's the word we use, doll bludges. If any would fail to work, they shouldn't eat. Withdraw your fellowship from them. Too harsh, you say, Pastor. Bible, I say. Truth of God's word. This is separation. Is it easy? No. Is it hurtful to you? Yes. Is it necessary? Yes. Second Timothy chapter 3 and verse 5. It's just over a bit. Second Timothy 3 verse 5. It's talking about the age that we were mentioning before. They have a form of godliness, deny the power of it from such, turn away. These are scriptural terms, turn away. 
In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 17, we won't turn there. It's talking about going to a brother if there is an offence, one-on-one. Go with another brother, and if offence continues and it's not resolved, take it before the church. And then if they do not respond to that, count them as a heathen. Try to win them to the Lord, in other words. <laughs> Get them saved so that they have the, spirit, the same spirit as you from the Bible and love the truth. In 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, referring back to where we were before. I haven't put these in good order, have I? We could have been there. <laughs> but deliver them unto Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And that's talking about that man who was a Christian. That's separation, isn't it? That's, that's what death means, separation. A little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. That's where that verse is, just the next verse. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Run not with them. Run not with them. In um, 2 John, verses 7 to 10, and uh, it, is, it mentions here, Receive him not, they that do not believe in Christ, his deity, his in, the incarnation. Receive him not, don't bid them Godspeed. Don't invite their heritage. The, well, he's, he's not, a, not a heretic. They're unbelieving people. Yeah, these people that deny the Lord Jesus Christ cannot be saved. Don't bid them Godspeed. Don't receive them into your house. Jehovah's Witnesses would be a prime example there. And Titus. Titus chapter 3. We're right there. I'm right there in, just before Hebrews. You've got Titus chapter 3 and verse 10. That says, the man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Now, these are believing people, but they're not believing the truth of the word. After the first and second admonition, reject as an heretic. Uh, an heretic. Um, chapter 1 of Titus and verses th- verse 13, well, verses 9 to 15, the context of it. But there in in verse 13, it says, And this witness is true. Wherefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. Rebuke them sharply. There was contentious words between apostles, Paul and Silas, Paul and Barnabas, others, the Lord Jesus and Peter. (laughs) Rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith. And and these these that were to be rebuked here were the Cretans in verse 12. Always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. They were lazy people. <laughs> Rebuke them sharply if they're lazy people. And uh, <clears throat> we ought to do that separation. When you rebuke, there's often a reaction, is there not? Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11. It tells us there to have no, no fellowship no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness and last one is in Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 Romans 16 17 and we're done I beseech you brethren mark them who cause divisions and offences contrary to the doctrine that you have learned and avoid them so there's two really there. There's mark them and avoid them. Avoid them. They that have false doctrine, contrary to what he'd been teaching there in Romans and contrary to the content of the canon of Scripture. 
avoid them. Uh, look, there's a lot of internet preachers around today. And a lot of what they say might be right. But how do you know their moral stand? How do you know their family situation? God has said and laid down scriptural standards for those in ministry. You know nothing about them. And they won't put it up on the internet. Local church, I believe, is the answer to that situation. <laughs> you know, this is, you know who we are, you know where we live. You can come and spy on us if you want to. You know, if I see your car outside, I'll know you're doing it. <laughs> but I don't think you would. <laughs> but I know people that have in independent churches that it was necessary to do because of moral situations that had to be rectified. Hey, is it an easy subject? You say, well, Pastor, why do you even bring these things up? It's a necessary subject. It's a matter of obedience. And before the Lord, we have to answer one day of how much we obeyed what we heard. You see, you've been here today, now you know. You can't go away on Judgment Day. Lord, I'm glad I didn't know. Too late. You come today, not knowing what the sermon was either. But that's probably the danger of announcing what you're going to preach on. People would choose to or not to come. But we need to hear the whole truth. And we don't mean to hurt people. We just mean to encourage people to walk in the truth. And young people, take a stand young. <laughs> it's easier to do that than get all involved in liberal apostate circles than have to pull out. There's so much baggage, we say. There's so much you pick up that you have to drop <laughs> to get the truth. You say, well, how do you know if it's the truth, it's Bible. It's Bible. It's what the Bible says, what God has said. And our God is a holy, holy, holy God. And he wants his people to be holy people. Be ye holy, for I am holy. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I pray that we take it and obey it. It will cost, as it did all the Old Testament saints that stood for truth. Sometimes we'll be lowered into a dungeon. We'll be ridiculed, stoned, sawn asunder. And we could quote the rest of Hebrews 11 with faithful men that stood for the truth and it cost them. But Lord, it will be worth it all when we stand before you. And we are questioned by the almighty, holy God what did you do with what you knew to do? Oh Lord, I obeyed it. I pray that we'll be able to say that. From this point forth, we'll obey the word of the Lord. Bless us as we part and Lord, head into another year, another year of grace, another year of opportunity, another year to serve, to submit, to sanctify ourselves and to separate ourselves from the world. Bless us as we go our way as your children, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.